0: There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Hey, um, again, my goal today is that you would leave here understanding how it is that God sees you. Because the reality is many of us have defined ourselves by a couple of different things that I wanna talk about in just a moment. Um, Proverbs 4, 23, in the Good News version of the Bible says, be careful how you think. Be careful of your own self-assessment. Be careful of the way that you view yourself. Is this thing not working today? Do you want me to do something? All right, let me try here. I turned it on now. Yeah, if you plug it in, that works too. Well, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. Because we got a lot of scripture and a lot of points to go through, and we're going to need that up there today. So, uh, But I'll read you this first verse in the good news. It says, be careful how you think, because your life ends up being shaped by your thoughts. So kind of how you think about yourself, you know, that's, a lot of how you see yourself and how you end up living your life. And I maintain that we have been defining ourselves. We've been having this, this idea of who we are and it's been based on the wrong definition. And if you're like me and if you're like most people in this room, we've allowed two different things to shape our thoughts, to define us. And the first is culture. We've allowed culture to tell us like, what's important, what we should, should value. And it's been given us the wrong definition. Culture says that you know, if you look a certain way, you know, then you're good. Or if you look good, then you, on the outside, you must be awesome on the inside. And so people will work hard on their outside. They'll spend a lot of money on their outside. They'll get a lot of upgrades and uplifts and all kinds of stuff to make themselves look good, to do whatever it takes to change their physical appearance, but God's word says that he doesn't look at the outside, he looks at our heart. However, we still allow culture to kind of dictate and culture to define what looks good and and it gives us this, this view of ourselves. So we idolize people that look good, not really understanding that they don't even really look that good. Like they've been airbrushed, right? They've been touched up. They've had um, uh, tummy tucks and liposucks and all kinds of stuff going on. So they don't even really look that good, but we idolize them and we say, because they look a certain way, they must be, in fact, successful. And so we based our our image, our idea of our self-image on what culture has said. Um, There was a, a woman who was in a church who received this prophetic word from someone else in the church. And the word that this, this person gave this other person was, God told me that you're gonna live another 50 years. And so she said, if I'm gonna live another 50 years, I'm gonna look good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna make some changes. So she went to the doctor. She got the works done. She got facelifts and, and butt lifts and Botox and enhancements and implants and explants and outplants, all, all the plants that you can possibly have. This lady got it. And so... Like, she's like, 50 years, you know, mama's gonna, mama's gonna look good. So after all that happened, the very next day, she died in a car wreck. On arriving in heaven, she asked God, true story, God, (laughs) what happened? Like, what gifts? You promised me another 50 years of life. So I went and got all this stuff done, and God goes, oh, I didn't recognize you. So you got to be careful with all that kind of enhancement stuff. And culture tells us, right, we got to look a certain way. And if we look a certain way, things are good. Or if we have certain stuff, certain possessions, if we're wealthy, then we got it going on. So we live our lives in this kind of uh, comparison trap. And one of the worst um, things, one of the biggest reasons for our insecurity is because we look to social media to see what everyone else is doing. And so what happens is, is you, you know, you post on Facebook your day with your family at Creamland, and then your friend posts on Facebook their day with their family at Disneyland. And then someone else posts on Facebook their day in Ireland or Finland or Greenland or somewhere else. And we, we fall into this, this trap of, of comparing ourselves with others and we allow culture to dictate to us what success should look like, what should success does look like. And the second thing that we've allowed to define us, and we're going to spend a little more time here, and this might hit closer to home for many of us, is our past. You've let your past define who you are. You've you've been living your life in the rearview mirror, kind of defining yourself based on what you've done and saying, well, this is who I am. So therefore, this is who I will ever be and all that I will ever be. And maybe your past specifically is marked by one failed relationship after the other. Maybe your past has been been riddled with negative words spoken over your life. Like some of you, you've heard junk said about you every day of your life growing up. And from somebody that was supposed to mean something maybe in your life. Maybe it was a father. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a boss or, or a coach. But they've, they've said things about you. And now you carry that with you wherever you go. Things that were demeaning. Things that were derailing. And contrary to what God sees in you. They've said things like, you don't have what it takes. Or you'll, you'll never measure up. Or you're not qualified to do that. Or I wish you were never even born. Or why can't you be more like so and so? And these words, these negative words have been burned onto your mental hard drive. So what happens is anytime you wanna step out and say, I'm not this, anytime you wanna do something great or take a risk or do something significant, all you hear are those voices, those negative thoughts plaguing your Memory, or maybe, maybe your past has been marked by uh, some unbelievable tragedy that you carry with you that you can't seem to overcome. Maybe your past has been, been marked by uh, being in prison. Don't raise your hand. It gets weird when you start, you know, telling people you've been in jail. But you carry that conviction now everywhere that you go. But the good news for us today is that God is not concerned with your past that your, your past does not limit God's potential in your, your life. And although you and I may have been paralyzed by our past, is not a problem for, for God. In fact, a lot of times, God wants to take your past, your yesterdays, and redeem them, redeem your past for his purposes. And oftentimes, your failures, your, your mistakes that you made yesterday are often God's setups for what he wants to do in your life. So he's got something good planned for you, but as long as we're branded and walk around labeled by our past, it's gonna destroy us and keep us from realizing God's ultimate goal for our lives. So we're gonna get at the root cause of this today, the root cause of our insecurity, the root cause of our inferiority, our feelings of of low self-esteem, because if we don't dig it out from the root, we're just gonna deal with the fruit, and it's going to grow back. And I believe Paul in Romans gives us um, this, this, this fundamental, this key to getting at the root of it. Look at it with me. Romans chapter 12, verse three says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Now, most of the time, Those that translated the Bible from the original Hebrew in the Old Testament, the original Greek in the New Testament, to our English language do a phenomenal job. But this verse is one of those cases that it doesn't really give us the full kind of understanding, because there, you know, our English language is limited. There about the the Greek language is about four times more descriptive than our language is. So this verse doesn't give it justice. So in order to do that, we want to look at just a few words and their meaning in the Greek. So when it says do not think of yourself more highly, it doesn't mean that you have this you know, holier-than-thou view. It doesn't mean that you walk around thinking that you're better than someone else. That's not what that that word is. The word highly in the Greek is the word hupaphraneo. I don't know if that's how you say it. I don't care if that's how you say it. I'm just telling you what it is, all right? It's the word hupaphraneo, and it literally means you're out of your mind it means you have an improper view of yourself. You're walking around with with not the right image of who you are. You're not in your right mind. In other words, we've bought into a definition of ourselves that's not consistent with who God says we are. And I contend that most of us have been walking around branded by or labeled by a, a definition that's not God's intent for our life of who we are. And then it says, instead of having that freneo, that, that highly, that out of your right mind kind of view, that wrong view of your life, think of yourself with sober judgment. And that word is sophroneo, so they're kind of related. You can hear the root words in there. And sophroneo means like that you're in your right mind, that you're being in your right mind. Another place this is used in scripture is when Jesus uh, was confronted with a guy who was filled with, with demons, and he cast the demons out of this guy, and the Bible says that after that, he was so soferneoed. He was in his right mind. So there's this other idea that, in order to be in your right mind, there has to be some kind of deliverance, some kind of setting free from the hurt, setting free from the wounds, setting free from the labels that you've carried around with you that have been defining you. So here's what the verse says. It says you have this wrong thinking. You and I have this wrong thinking, this hooper for nail. We need to be set free from that thinking, sophronio, but we need to do this with a measure of faith that God has given us. We need to be delivered. We need to be free from the wrong image that we have with a measure of, of faith. In other words, you are so sure of who God is, that's what faith is, that you know what God believes about you. So sure of who he is that you understand what he believes about you. So here's Romans chapter 12, verse three, the NCAV paraphrase. That's the new Colby Atkins version. It is not a real version. It's not on you version. It's not one of the ones you can drop down and, and choose from. It's just, in fact, you'll probably never see that again. But this is how I paraphrase it. You can be, and this is our goal, Today, set free from having an improper view of who you are by having faith in who God is and how God sees you. That's the goal that all of you would leave here today with this root, this, this, this faith that's been rooted in, in knowing who God is and how He sees you. And as long as my self-assessment, as long as your self-assessment is based on what culture says you know, is successful or is based on what your your past has labeled you as, you and I will never be right. So here's the big idea if you wanna write it down. You gotta first see right to be right. It's up to us to see right to be right. So the big question is then, Colby, how do I see right? How do I see right? And how do I, how do I know, you know, how it is that God sees me? When God looks at me, what exactly does he he see, and we're gonna talk about that. And to do it, go to Judges chapter six, if you have your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Um, judges, we're gonna look at a guy named Gideon in the, the Old Testament. And, and even the translation for Judges is not a great um, title for this book. Judges were deliverers. That might be a better title for it. They were deliverers because from time to time, the Israelites would disobey God. And I know none of us in this room ever disobey God but they would disobey God and God would send a deliverer because when you disobey God, when they would disobey God, God would sometimes allow enemies to attack his people, which he'll do in order to get your attention, in order to draw your focus back To him, And so this is what was happening. Uh, The enemies would attack. God would send a deliverer or a a judge uh, to rescue them, to free them from their their enemies. So that's kind of what this story is about. And Gideon is one of those those judges. It's not like uh, a judge, like Judge Judy kind of judge. It's probably more like Judge Dredd, if you've ever seen that movie. It's like Stallone going to town. So here's the story of a guy named Gideon. The Israelites um, have been disobedient to God. And so they are now being suppressed, they are now being um, intimidated, kind of held captive in their own fears by their enemies, the the Midianites. And so life's not real great for these guys at this point in history. Here's what the Bible says in chapter six, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak and Oprah, she's been around for a long time, all right, a long, long time, this is before she had her own network. This is before she had her own chai tea at Starbucks. This is a long time ago, all right? Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with God's word and you're just new here, whatever, I'm not being truthful about that. It's a, it's a different Oprah altogether. And this is like Oprah or whatever. Anyway, you don't care. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was, watch this, threshing wheat... In a wine press to keep it from the enemies who are suppressing them, the Midianites. Now, real quick, that's not where you thresh wheat. You don't do it in a wine press. Like, the whole goal of threshing wheat is for you to take a pitchfork, like, toss it up into the air, you know, and allow the wind to blow away the husk from the grain, allow the wind to blow the lighter husk away from the grain. So that would go away and the grain would kind of fall. And so you'd be left with just kind of the pure. Grain, that's wheat threshing 101. But here he is in a wine press. And a wine press is, is a pit. It's a pit. Like there's no wind in a pit. So I'm sure, you know, here's Gideon. He's scared to death because he, he, he's looking for a meal and he doesn't want his enemies to come, you know, rob him of his meal. So he's in this pit. He's hiding, trying his best to thresh wheat. And I can't imagine it's going that well for him. And when I read that, I thought, this is the way many of us live our lives like hiding, scared, in a pit. And when we're in this pit and we have this perspective of who we are, you know what we see in the pit? We just see the walls of the pit. Our perspective of who we are is limited in the pit, but it's not limited by God. God sees you for who you are because watch what happens. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, what's this word? Mighty warrior, hold up. He's hiding. He is a wimp in a wine press. He's fearful. He's afraid of his life. He's, he's trying to thresh wheat in a place with, with no wind, and God shows up. The angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now I don't want you to miss this. God saw something in Gideon that he couldn't even see in himself. And do you know God sees something in you that you can't see in yourself? And the reason why you can't see it in yourself is because you are in the pit and your perspective of who you are is messed up. It's not the right perspective. And I think this is huge. I really think that this is is the root of our esteem issues. This is the root of our insecurity. Being in the pit, all we see in the pit, again, are the walls, We're afraid, we're fearful, we're experiencing frustration. All we see is the wimp, right, in the pit. But God sees a warrior. And some of you, I need to, you didn't hear this, God sees a warrior in you. But probably just like Gideon, you don't see it in yourself. And I understand that. Because can we be real for a second? Don't you come to church sometimes? And you hear songs, you know, and uh, you know, people singing, we have victory in Jesus or, or in, in Christ, we are, we are overcomers. Or that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Or that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And, you, and you, you see it and you hear it and you can say amen. But how many of you always feel that? Like, I don't ever feel that all the time. Like, although I know it's in there and although I agree with it, right, my, I hesitate because although I see it, I don't necessarily feel it in my heart. And this is where Gideon is. He's hesitant. And so he pushes back, look at the next verse, says, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but I don't feel like you're a good God. In fact, what I feel like, if I'm being honest, is that you abandon us, he says, and you put us into the hand of me, and look look what it says. It says, I love these words, if the Lord is with us. How many of you have ever doubted God's presence with you? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where? Is this deliverance? Where is this stuff that you're you're talking about? In fact, God, if we're being honest, we feel like you've abandoned us. If, why, all the questions that we ask of God and notice that God doesn't even acknowledge his complaint. He just kind of slides right on by, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Have, uh, am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? For some of you, this is where we need to stop the message. Some of you are in the pit and your perspective is, is jacked up because you're limited by what you see around you. But God's view of you is different. And he's just asking you to Go. And not only is he asking you to go, he's saying, as, as you do, as you go, I'm gonna strengthen you for that task. I have already equipped you. Listen, God is not going to enlist you without equipping you. And he's given you everything that you need to do everything that he's called you to do. And that's what he tells Gideon, go. Like, I've already given you strength. You don't see it yet, but it's there. And when Gideon heard this, Gideon now gets real. Gideon now gets honest with his perception of himself. And can I say most of us don't. Most of us never come to this, this realization where we're at this gut level of honesty. And look what Gideon says. He says, actually, actually, God, it's not that, that you've abandoned us. It's not that you know, your promises aren't good. Here's the reality. Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? Because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. In other words, Gideon is saying, I'm the weakest of the weak. And when I read this, you know what I thought to myself? I've felt this way my whole life. My whole life. Like, this is not a, a false humility. And you don't, you can believe which, whatever you want to believe. But I've always felt a little bit less than. I've always felt a little unqualified. In fact, I Every day, every Sunday before I come out onto this stage, I'm just, I'm scared because I have these voices in my head. I don't talk back to them. When you talk back to them, that's when you're in trouble. <laughs> Telling me, hey, nobody cares about this. Nobody cares. Like, who, who do you think you are to share this? Like, my whole life, I've battled these feelings of, of Insecurity. Because I've told you before, I've been a terrible student all throughout school. I was bad in reading. I was bad in in math. I was bad in science. I was bad in social studies. I was bad in English. You're like, Colby, what else is there? Nothing. There's nothing else. Like, I was bad in all of it. I graduated college by the skin of my teeth. Come on, where are my C people at? Any C people? C people. Am I the only C person? All right, a couple of you. Where's all the A people that, raise your hand, A people. Why are you always messing up the curve? Why are you messing up the curve? Like you couldn't stay home sick one day during a test. Like I've always felt that way. I'm a seminary dropout. It's because I I, I always felt a little unqualified. And I hesitated sharing this with you. But backstage right behind this wall, there's, there's a little workbench and a table. And right above this, this little table is a sign that says, it is a privilege to be on this stage. Thank you, God, for choosing me. And every time, and listen, that's not, that's not so Colby gets a big head. That's not so any of the, the people coming out on this platform get a big head. That's to remind us. That's to remind me every single week that I'm not up here because I'm the smartest, because I'm not, you guys know that. I'm not up here because I'm the most skilled. The only reason I can stand on this platform is because God chose me to. That's it. And what I've realized is that's enough. That's enough that God does not choose the qualified, but he qualifies those he chooses. And some of you need to get a right perspective of who you are because you're feeling less than. You're feeling like you're in this pit and you can't see out of that pit. But God calls down to Gideon. He says, you don't feel this right now, but it's inside of you. You are a mighty warrior. And then I love this. In fact, let me just say this. When Gideon pushes back, because all of you do, whenever God shows you who you are, we tend to push back and Gideon says, but, 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 but I'm the least. And I'm in the 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 weakest in the, the weakest tribe, man. That's that's who I am. What is your pushback when God shows you who you are? Is it you know, but 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 have you seen my resume? Have you seen the lack of my experience? Have you seen the lack of my qualifications? God, you know, haven't you seen who I am compared to what culture standards are about beauty, about you know, success? you've seen who I am based on my past and the way I failed before, when God shows you who you are, your first reaction is to fight. Your first reaction, like Gideon, is to say, no, man, I'm not that. I can't be called to do that. There's no way I can accomplish that. There's no, nothing within me that will allow me to win that fight. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable enough. But God doesn't see you based on your pedigree or on your performance. He sees you based on the potential that he's placed inside of you. And here's the thing. God is not shocked by your argument of your insignificance. God's not shocked by by your pushback to what he's placed inside of you. Like Abraham didn't shock God when he said, you know, I'm too old to have kids. God wasn't shocked by that. Like God wasn't shocked when Moses said, there's no way I can lead these people out of Egypt because I'm a stutterer, you know, there's no way. I can't even talk good. But God was not shocked by that. God's not shocked when Gideon says, I'm the least in my tribe, I'm the weakest, I'm not a warrior, I'm the most insignificant person. And God was not shocked by that. And guess what, he's not shocked when you push back either And he won't change his mind about you. He knows who you are. He knows what he's placed inside of you. And when God has spoken over your life, you don't get to get a second opinion on it. In fact, like even your own opinion doesn't count when God's spoken something over your life. So don't fall into that trap of saying I'm not or I'm not good enough. Because that's our first reaction. Notice what, what the Lord says. The Lord answered The reason why you don't feel this way is because you don't understand, I'm gonna be with you. Like, maybe you don't really see me for who I am, but I'm gonna be with you and we'll strike down the Midianites together. He says, Gideon, you're a warrior. You're a warrior. I've already placed that inside of you. Now go in your own strength. I've already equipped you to do what I've called you to do. Like, let's go. Don't get the wrong impression, though. We're gonna do this together. It's not gonna be you doing the striking. It's gonna be we doing the striking together. And so in the rest of the story, and I would encourage you to go back and read it, they had this amazing victory over their enemies. They didn't even have to fight. It was awesome. Uh, the story leading up to it was, was awesome. Um, God gave them this, this victory. He ended up being a great deliverer and a mighty warrior and all that God said he was. But look at this verse, verse 24. This is what the Bible says. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Peace. Now, when I first read that word, I thought, that's interesting. Like God's called something out of Gideon to be a warrior. God wants to rescue them. God wants to deliver them. But Gideon called this altar, this place, the Lord is is peace. Not the Lord is, you know, victorious. Not the Lord is, you know, my my rock and my shield. Not the Lord, you know, is our rescuer. Not the Lord is a warrior. He says the Lord is, is peace. And I thought that was interesting But then I thought about that word peace, and that word peace is the word shalom, which literally means contentment. You know what Gideon is saying here? The Lord is peace. He's saying, for the first time in my life, I can look in the mirror and I'm okay with what I see. I'm not a wimp in a wine press. In fact, God's called me to be someone else, God's called me to be a warrior. For the first time in my life, I'm not afraid. I'm not scared. I'm not allowing these external circumstances dictate you know, how I see myself. And my dream for you, man, is that you would have this kind of peace, that you would experience this unbelievable peace. Listen, I was bullied my whole life growing up in, in elementary school and grade school, my whole life. Like, and I'm not looking for pity, because I'll fight you now. Let's go. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But I was always a little shorter. I was always a little rounder. My pants, you know, they had a size in it, but then they also had this extra label that said Husky. Anyone else? Husky? All right. Like, I wore Husky. Thanks, brother. And here's what I know. If I allow culture, if I allow those voices to dictate, you know, who I am, take control over me, Like it's gonna derail all that God wants to do in my life. And I believe it's the same for you. I believe that you're carrying around these brands. You're carrying around these labels based on your past or based on what culture says. If we're not careful, we can buy into the wrong assessment. And when we do, we don't have peace. And God wants to give you peace. God wants you to be content with who you are and to to see right in order to be right, and I think this story shows us three uh, things that I don't want you to miss. I'm gonna give you these in rapid fire um, succession. In order for us to have this right perspective, in order for us to have a right identity, not to be filled with insecurity or low self esteem, to see right, to be right, there are three things. Number one, write this down, is we gotta see God right. The first thing you have to do is you have to see God right. Because the reality is, many of us don't. And I don't know if you walked in the doors today with a, a church history, and, and maybe you grew up in a place where you always were told God's mad at you, that God was mean, that God was harsh, and you, maybe you got that idea because everyone else in the church was mad at you, or mean, or harsh, or like you could never do anything right, right? But that's not who God is. In fact, that's the other gospel. We talked about that last week. That's the rules-based. That's the regulations. It's not the life-giving gospel. But some of you, you, just, you have a, the wrong view of who God is. And if you're gonna move at all, you have to have the right view of who God is because religion has lied to us. Psalm 59.10 says this, my God is changeless in his love for me. He's changeless. He's unwavering. There's not conditions attached to it, that He loves you. And the only way you can see God right is when you are in a right relationship with Him. Because your view of God is directly tied to your relationship with God. And so, first, you got to see God right. In order to do that, you have to have a relationship with him. And I wanna give you an opportunity before we leave today to do just that. The second thing is this, once you see God right, you have to see the me that God sees. You gotta understand what God sees when he looks at you. Let me tell you what God sees. Look at First Peter uh, chapter two, verse nine, it says this, but you are not like that. For you have been chosen by God. For you are a priest of the king. Some of you, you need to, you need to own that. You need to own that, that label, how God looks at you, what he sees when he, he sees you. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God called you out of the darkness into wonderful light. You need to see the me that God sees in order to show others what God's done in your life. And did you know that's going on right now across the way in our kids' area? Like, our kids, I don't know if you guys realize this, they're not back there watching Veggie Tales. Did you know that? We don't, like, put them in a room, put in a videotape or a VHS, if you know what that is, ask your mom. Put in a tape of, of Bob the Tomato, right, and Larry the Cucumber. We don't do that back there. Those kids are being loved. Those kids are being told who Jesus is and being told how Jesus sees them. They are being told today that they are unbelievable, that they are warriors, that they carry the image of God, that they were knit and formed together in their mother's womb, that they are amazing and perfect in God's sight. I love that they're doing that back there. Like, I'm so grateful that they are telling my kids, giving them a right view of how God sees them, that they're growing up with that right now. Like, those guys back there are my heroes they're my heroes in Elevate Kids back there. And if you see them today, you should hug them before you go. Like, say thank you for telling my kids how, how God sees them. Like, that's what they're growing up understanding. They're not growing up thinking, well, this is what it looks like to be successful based on culture. Or this is what it looks like, you know, uh, to be successful based on my, my rewards or accolades or, or what I can accomplish. no. They're saying, Jesus alone, I love that. They have this mind, uh, Romans 12, you know, that says, be set free, be delivered from all that. That way of thinking, that wrong view of yourself, and you need that too. We need to start them young, but you need that, that too, be set free, so we gotta see God right, we have to see the me that God sees, and the last one is this, see it's less about me and more about we. It's less about me. Remember this verse that said, the Lord answered, you're not doing this on your own. I think a lot of us think that we are are on our own, but God wants to accomplish some amazing things through you. And it's not always been about your power and what you are capable of doing, but more about God's presence inside of you. It's not about your power. It's about his presence. And God says, look, we're gonna do this together. We're gonna do this together. You're, you're not on your, your own. And we end up seeing the rest of the story that, that they do. It's, it's unbelievable. Again, you should go back and, and, and read it. But you need to understand that ultimately when we have our perspective in the pit of who we are, that's, that's all about us. But God says it's not about you. It's not about making your name famous. It's not about how many followers you have on Facebook it's about being a fully devoted follower of me. It's not, it's not about lifting you know, your highlight reel and taking the best pictures you can because you know all your selfies, you know you do that downward angle so the double chin doesn't stick out. I do the same thing, I do the same thing. It's not about your highlight reel. It's about lifting high the name of Jesus. And he says it's not about us. And we have the wrong perspective when we don't understand that it's less about me and more about we. And the sooner you and I realize it's less about me and more about we, the better off we'll be. Yes, I did, I did say that. I Dr. Seussed it all up in here, all right? It's never been about us, but about what God wants to do through you, not what others think about you, not even what you think about yourself. Here's what I'm learning. Colby is not the expert on Colby. The one who created me and designed me is. You are not the expert on you. The one who knit you together and formed you in your mother's womb is you are not the expert on your worth. The one who calls you worthy and has deemed you worthy is, you are not the expert on if you have value or not according to what the world sees, but the one who says you are valuable in Christ Jesus is. And if value is based on the price that someone is willing to pay for something, then you are unbelievably value because Jesus gave his life for you. And some of you today, you need to own that. Please, please stop assessing yourself based on what the world sees or based on what you even think you see, but based on what God sees. Please, leave here with the right image. Leave here full of the knowledge of if those that are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, he doesn't see all that stuff. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, covering all of your past, past, present, and future. Your sins have been forgiven, wiped out as you called on the name of Jesus. Now here's the reality. Some of you have never done that because this, what I'm talking about, seeing God right, seeing the me, you know, that God sees, seeing that, that, that we is, is greater than me. It's never been about just me that only happens through a relationship with God, through surrendering your life, saying, I wanna see God what you see and acknowledging that Jesus died for us. I wanna give us an opportunity to do that right now. In fact, would you bow your heads? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for shedding light on what is such a a plague in our world on how we define ourselves, where we get our, our value from. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would talk to each one of us in this room and that we would root our, our 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 view of who we are based on your word and not based on the world. But God, we would gain an understanding today of how you see us, that our eyes would be open across this room, that when you look down on us as we've called out to you, God, what you see is 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 Jesus, your son, and the amazing love that you have for us, so much love, so much love for each person in this room that you allowed him to die on our behalf, but he didn't stay dead because the moment he rose from the grave conquering that sin, we could have full confidence that we've conquered it too in Jesus' name. And for those today that have never made that decision, that declaration, of calling on the name of Jesus, of saying, Jesus is Lord of my life. I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now with every head bowed, every eyes closed. You've never surrendered your life, and today you understand how God sees you and how much he loves you. And you say, Colby, I'm gonna do it today. Today is my day. I'm gonna give my life to God. What do I need to do? Count me in, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And if you're praying that prayer with me, would you raise your hand? I just wanna see who's praying with me. No one else looking around. Come on, just raise your, yep. Hold up high, be proud of that, be proud of that. This is acknowledging, saying, God, I'm surrendering my life to you today. God bless you, God bless you. That's so awesome, awesome. All right, put your hands down. You can pray this prayer with me. Say it out loud, say it in your heart. God knows the most important part of it is that you believe in your heart, the Bible says, that that Jesus died for you and that you confess him as Lord and Savior. And from this moment on, you do your best to follow him. So say this, Jesus, today, I see myself through your eyes. I see me how you see me. So loved, so worthy of so much value that you died for my sin, and today I receive that payment. Today, I confess my sin, and I turn from my ways, and I follow you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me so I can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.